Dear friends, on this Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2013, let me be one of the first to say to you, Merry Christmas. As I was preparing the message today, I was thinking that there is perhaps no more pressing question than this. Why did Jesus the Christ come to earth? It's not enough to know who Jesus is. By and large, the world knows what Christians believe about Jesus. But what the world wants to know is this. Why did he come and what difference does it make? Many answers have been given to that question. Some argue that uh, Jesus came to be an example of God's perfect love. Others say that he came to be a perfect man, the one shining example that can lift the rest of us up. Many people consider him to be the greatest teacher ever. Still others believe he came to establish a new religion. Some scholars say that he was a reformist rabbi who wanted to start a movement to purify Israel. Against all the theories of men, we have the clear words of the Lord himself found in a very familiar verse in Luke's Gospel. In one simple sentence, we have the clear statement of Jesus' mission on the occasion of encountering Zacchaeus. Remember little Zacchaeus up in that sycamore tree. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's consider that simple statement. First, we have the most magnificent historical fact. The Son of Man came. Jesus has come to earth. The Almighty has entered our world. The infinite has become finite. The eternal has invaded time. Theologians call it the Incarnation. It's God in human flesh. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, God with us. His birth differs from every other birth in that he voluntarily came in obedience to the Father's will. That could not be said of you or me. We were born, but we had no choice in the matter. But Jesus came according to the plan of God. Galatians 4.4 4 tells us, When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son. Every detail was minutely planned in the courts of heaven. Nothing happened by chance. He came from the light into the darkness. He came from splendor into squalor. He came from purity into a world of sin. But still he comes. And he comes not just like any man. It's the Son of Man that has come. That term, Son of Man, emphasizes Jesus' humanity. God himself entered the human race in the form of a tiny baby. He is the Son of Man because he was first the Son of God. I love the, John, uh, the amplified version of John 1.14. It says, and the word, Christ, became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us. A generation ago, C.S. Lewis put this doctrine in its proper perspective when he said, quote, The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became flesh. Every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from this, end quote. You know, he is entirely right about this. I mean, sometimes we focus on peripheral questions like, how did Jesus walk on the water? How did Jesus turn water into wine? Those are okay questions, but they sometimes distract us from the core issues. You know, we believe God became a man. 
This is the central truth of our faith, and it is the point at which we part company with Islam and Judaism. Both of these religions categorically reject the notion that God has a son and that God could somehow become one of us. To Christ's followers like us, friends, it is impossible to speak about God without speaking about Jesus, because God became a man 2,000 years ago. As C.S. Lewis says, every other miracle leads to that or results from it. At the heart of our faith is this certain truth. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus. Now we know what God is like, for the Son of Man has made him plain to us. And second, we have the most spiritually significant mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. What is our Lord like? Well, he's like that woman who lost a coin and searched her house until she found it. He's like that man who lost one sheep and went out into the wilderness to find it. He's like that father who welcomed the prodigal son home again. Jesus came looking for someone. He came seeking sinners up a tree at midnight and by Jacob's well. Jesus came seeking those caught in adultery, blind beggars, lepers, wild men living in the tombs. He even came seeking self-righteous Pharisees who thought they didn't need him. He came seeking fishermen, politicians, radicals, physicians, tax collectors, rich men, poor folks, no one that people would touch. He sought the prostitutes and the drunkards, and they loved him for it. And when he was dying, he came seeking one hanging on a cross beside him. Jesus came as the seeking Savior. We will never understand him unless we see this clearly. And third, he came seeking what was lost. That's a perfect description of the state of humanity. What was lost? The word lost has almost gone out of style in our Christian circles. Instead, we talk of being estranged from God or being confused about our purpose in life or needing a new beginning. And while all of that is true, it is hard to improve on that simple Bible word, lost. Search the pages of God's word from cover to cover. Read everything from Adam's great sin in Genesis to the final great battle in Revelation. Then pick up the morning newspaper and see if you don't agree with Jesus. Men are lost without God. Isaiah 53, 6 reminds us, We have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us is turned to go in his own way. By nature, we all go our own way. Nobody has to teach us how to run from God. If Jesus did not come to us, we would have never come to him. You know, dumb sheep have nothing on us. We don't even know we're lost until someone comes from heaven seeking us out. I mean, that's an important principle for us to consider and remember. If Jesus the Christ did not come to us, we would have never come to him. If we say, seek the Lord, let us also recall that by nature no one truly seeks the Lord. Harry Ironside told a story once about a newly converted brother who his testimony at a Wednesday night meeting. The new convert gave great glory to God for his salvation. After the meeting, an older and supposedly wiser brother took the young man aside and said, that was an excellent testimony, but you left out one thing. What was that? Well, you left out your part in salvation. <clears throat> The new convert thought for a moment and then said, 
My part in salvation was to run from God as fast as I could. And the Lord's part was to run after me, find me, and save me. That is indeed the testimony of every child of God. We were lost until Jesus found us. I mean, sometimes we encourage sinners to come to Jesus, which is entirely biblical. But if Jesus did not come to us first through the calling of the Holy Spirit through the word, we would have never come to him at all. That's what it means to be truly lost. Lost without God, lost without hope, lost in a tangled web of sin, lost and trapped forever. If we neglect Jesus after we know the truth, we will be condemned to hell forever. But what then is our hope if we're so hopelessly lost? But well, we find the answer in the one who came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus didn't come just as a tourist or a casual visitor or an educator or itinerant philosopher. Jesus came as a savior seeking to save the lost. What then are the implications of this great statement of the mission of Christ? There are three for us to consider. First of all, if Jesus the Christ came, man's responsibility is increased. In the spiritual realm, the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. I mean, sometimes we say ignorance of the law is no excuse, but we rarely act that way. If a man deliberately breaks the law, we treat him more harshly than the man who unwittingly breaks the law. So it is with God. If Christ did come, then our responsibility is increased. Jesus said, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. That's Luke 12:48. If Jesus had never come to earth, we would all go to hell condemned by our own guilty conscience. If God did nothing, the whole human race would perish because, as Romans 3:23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But friends, on this Christmas Eve, the good news is this. Jesus has come to this earth. And he has made God plain to us. He left heaven to make his home among us, to reveal God to us, to show us the true nature of his Father. In him we see God's love. In him we see God's mercy. In him we see God's kindness. In him we see God's justice. In him we see God's holiness. He came to us, full of grace and truth. And what did we do? We heard his words, we saw his miracles, we listened to his voice, considered his office, offer, and then we crucified the Lord of glory. Condemned already. That's the state of the whole human race, apart from Jesus, the Christ. We know about Jesus. We've heard his story over and over again. What will happen to us if we know about Jesus and still refuse him? What will be our end if... Having heard the truth, we still neglect it. Well, I'll give you the scriptural answer. If we neglect Jesus after we know the truth, we will be condemned to hell forever. I mean, here's a frightening fact. The same gospel that saves a man also condemns him. Consider the sun in the sky. To one plant it brings life, to another it brings death. If a branch has been cut off, the sun causes it to wither and die. As with the sun in the sky, so it is with the Son of Man from heaven. If a man will not come to Jesus to be saved, then Jesus will come to him for utter destruction. 
Second, if Christ came to save, then the sinner is without excuse. I mean, what excuse could you give that would satisfy God? How would you explain your rejection of Jesus? What sufficient reason would you have for saying no to God's own Son? Think how clearly John 3.16 puts it. For God so loved this world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That wonderful truth is followed by this solemn warning in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Recently, <clears throat> I read about a pastor who had lost his faith in hell and then found it again. When asked how a loving God could send amazingly good people to hell, he had a simple answer. I don't know any amazingly good people. And then he added this for emphasis. We are all fundamentally flawed at the core, and it is only in our hubris where we want to lift ourselves up. I reject the idea that there are amazingly good people out there. And you know something, friends? He's exactly right. All those amazingly good people who somehow end up in hell turn out not to be so amazing after all. The best among us are just wretches in need of God's grace. And for the rest of us, and as for the rest of us, we're like wretches squared, if such a thing were possible. Here's the bottom line. Sin has infected your mind, your emotions, your will, your intellect, your moral reasoning, your decision-making, your words, and your deeds. No part of your life is exempt from the debilitating effects of sin. As someone has said, if sin were blue, we'd be blue all over. I mean, part would be dark blue, part would be sky blue, part would be light blue, but every part would be blue in one shade or another. What sinners need, Jesus came to provide. When God gave his only son to hang on a tree like a common criminal, he gave the very best he had. God has more grace in his heart than you have sin in your life. But that means I'm without excuse. Nothing will avail but Jesus. As the old song says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That leads us to our third and final point. If Christ came to save the lost, then the worst may be saved. Having spent over a dozen years working in the largest maximum security prison in America, I have met many men who started out their lives singing in the choirs of their churches. Today their mugshots can be found on the Internet. I mean, none of us has the full answer to the question, why did this happen? But here's what we do know. Just going to church, just singing in a church choir is not enough to keep a man from heinous sin. I do not say that to heap additional pain on anyone, but simply to remind us all that you never know what sin you might or might not commit. And if we are not terrified by this, by this we ought to be. I'm often reminded of the British novelist who remarked that there is no man who, if all his thoughts were made public, would not deserve hanging 12 times a day. To which I respond, only 12 times? <clears throat> so let us repeat the solemn, joyful news of the gospel. 
that Jesus the Christ came to save sinners. Luke 19.10 puts no limits on God's grace. Corey Ten Boom liked to say, There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Friends, our spiritual ancestors had no problem with the concept of instantaneous conversion. They believed life could be radically changed in a moment. The Bible presents many examples of people whose lives were changed immediately. While it's true that long-held patterns of behavior may not change overnight, and while we all need time for spiritual growth, it's also true that your sins can be forgiven immediately, just like that. Now, I often like to tell people, you may have come to church without Jesus, but you don't have to leave here without him. You may have come here guilty, but you can go home forgiven. You may have come dirty, but you can go home clean. That's the true power of the gospel, to create a miracle of conversion inside the human heart. Like I said before, Jesus is a better Savior than you are a sinner. In Him you can rise above your past to live your, a life that brings great glory to God. To God be the glory contains this encouraging line, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Friends, on this Christmas Eve, all I've been trying to say is wrapped up in that sentence. If we understand our sin as an offense against the Almighty God, then we are all equally qualified as the vilest offender. <clears throat> when we believe in Jesus, that very moment our sins are pardoned. And sometimes it's hard to believe that. There are deeds that I have done that I would never mention in public, but I'm not alone in that. I mean, who here this evening would be the first to say, play back the unedited transcript of my life? No, there are things better left unsaid and thoughts better left unspoken. But I have some good news. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. If that is true, then the worst among us can be saved, and that certainly includes you and me. We all labor under a terrible sense of sins committed, of duties left undone, of careless cutting words we wish we could take back, or of deliberate greed or foolish choices made in haste, and on and on. But it is the glory of the gospel that no matter how bad your sins may be, you can be saved right now. Your past does not determine your future when Jesus enters the picture. If you qualify as lost, then you are an excellent candidate for salvation. If you are a sinner, Christ came seeking you. And this Christmas, dear friends, when you come to Jesus, you will find that he has already come for you. God bless and have a Merry Christmas.